Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville. If you're visiting with us this morning on this beautiful, cloudy, cold day, then um, we'd love to hear from you. And there should be a card underneath the seat in front of you. Just fill that out. You can do it electronically. You can do it by pen or pencil. Put it in the box in the back if you want to do it physically. And uh, it's also where we take offerings if you want to give to the ministry. Also, you can use that card to make prayer requests and ask information, to get information about the ministries here at the church. You're welcome to do that. So we've got a, uh, a cold week. I think everybody survived a little bit of ice. I mean, you know, you get the threat of ice and everything shuts down, and that's just the way it is here in Texas. But we actually did get ice. And um, last week I predicted that it would not get over 60 degrees, and I think it did get over 60 degrees on Thursday, which makes me a weatherman. And, uh, and I'm good at it. Just uh, look at my phone app and there it is, even if it's not correct. So I think we're supposed to get to 60 degrees on Tuesday. And I'm gonna put money down there. I mean, not real money, but you know, just saying. Um, I hope you have a great weekend and you stay warm. Uh, after church today, we've got college lunch or college and young adults. So if you are 29 and younger, or at least down to college age, you're welcome to join us for lunch. We get together, we play a little silly game, and we eat together, fellowship. If you identify as 29, then you are not welcome. All right, so go find your own lunch somewhere else with a bunch of old people. All right, that's what all the other old people do. So at McKenzie's, are we doing McKenzie's today? That's right, whatever. All right, so let's get to scripture. So John chapter 1. If you will turn to verse 14, I'm going to go 14 through 18. So CF is tackling the book of John, and um, he is going to be sharing with us this morning as we get these verses here, really 15 through 18. We're going to start in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and crying out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your truth, and I pray, Lord, for that truth to be made evident to us this morning. I pray for CF, that he'll be able to speak your truth, that you'll be able to speak through him, and Lord, that we will hear, respond, that your spirit will continue to speak to us as we walk out of here today, that we will be lights to this world and encouragement to all those that need encouragement to be truth, to allow your truth to be spoken through us and to live through us. Lord, I pray for our obedience to your word, and we say this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. You have your Bibles. Turn to uh, the book of John, passage he read. And we're looking at verses 15 through 18, and we're going to look at part two today. 
The last time I spoke here, we dealt with verses 15 and 16. Today we're going to look at verse 17. So it'll be part two of Jesus being full of grace and truth. If you're visiting with us, we're going through a study on the Gospel of John. So you're on the front end of it. And uh, we're going to work our way through it, see if we can understand the book in its context. And so we're still in the prologue because verses 1 through 18 is the prologue to the book. And so we're still dealing with that. So this morning we're going to look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day and for this opportunity. Pray that you would open the scriptures up to us. Pray that I'd be able to rightly divide your word of truth and instruct in a manner and a way that it would be clear and easy to understand. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take make application to our individual lives. We do pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and pray for this time together. And I ask this of you, Lord, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 17 begins with the word for. And if you back up to verse 16, and you see that word that begins with and, it is really for also. So you have two fours in a row, and what that tells you in a study of a book like this is that is a supporting argument for something that was previously stated. And that which is previously stated is in verse 14, where it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John says, He who comes after me is, ranks higher than me, for He was before me. And so verses 16 and verse 17 are both supporting arguments for how was this glory revealed? How did we see that? Where did we see he was full of grace and truth? And so verse 17 is the second of the supporting arguments. And he says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And if you'll notice right in the middle of that verse is the word but. What that denotes is a contrast. So he's making a contrast here. He's making a, a preliminary statement or, or first statement is for the law was given through Moses. And the second statement is grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And they are meant to be different from each other. Their contrasts is what they are. And there's a motif that runs through the book of John. And that motif is this. I said this at the outset or the introduction to the book. I said there's an underlying theme in the Gospel of John, and that is that John is going to continually present Jesus as being a greater than Moses. Because people viewed Moses as the one of the great prophets of God. He's the one that delivered them from the land of Egypt. And then all through the Gospel of John, John is going to demonstrate, because one of the functions of the Gospel of John is to present an accurate witness of the person of Christ. He's going to present Jesus Christ as being greater than Moses. All right? Now, he did that already in verses 1 through 5, where he talks about Jesus being creator. So that automatically puts him above Moses right there. And then when you get down to verses 9 through 13, he talks about him 
being the one that brings life and gives light, that makes him a greater than Moses also. But in this passage, we actually see a contrast between Moses and the person of Christ. So the first part of that verse says, for the law was given through Moses. Now, Moses was the mediator of the law. He went up on the mountain, got the law from God. And when he came down, he gave it to the people. Various places in the Bible say this, but if you'll look at Deuteronomy 4.4, Deuteronomy 4.4 explicitly states that he did that. So in Deuteronomy, I'm going to read uh, Deuteronomy 4.44. I may have said 4.4. If I did, I apologize. It's 4.44. Look at Deuteronomy 4.44. It says, and this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. Look down at verse one of uh, chapter five, and it says, and Moses called all Israel and said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. So Moses was the one that brought the law to the people of Israel. All right. Now, there are many people, even today in religious circles, that think that the way to be right with God is to keep the law of God. There are even religions and denominations that teach that righteousness can be found through the law. All right. This is a, something that surfaces all the time. And if you're in church at any time, you'll run into people that believe that. And they want to go back and they want to keep the law and won't keep all the feasts and all these other things that are in the scripture, hoping to have a right relationship with God. But there's a big contrast between the law and between grace and truth. Big contrast. And we're going to look at it this morning, okay? The law that Moses gave us brought condemnation, all right? That's what it did. It brought condemnation. We are sinners. And anytime you set forth a standard of righteousness, we're not going to measure up to it, okay? The Bible, the epistles speak about this all the time. Look, if you would, in Romans chapter 3. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. And I'm going to begin in verse 10. The Bible makes it very clear that mankind is unrighteous before God. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. You've got to appreciate Paul adding that no, not one, because he knows there's someone out there saying, well, I, I think I can do it. Nope, not one. There's not a single one. Makes it even further clear or more clear if you look down at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. There's nothing wrong with the law. Understand this, the law is good, okay? The law is a representation or, or a revelation, I'm sorry, of the character of God. The law shows us the standard that God sets forth. 
And that standard is very detailed. And when you look at that standard, one of the first things you're going to realize is, I don't meet that standard. I don't measure up to that. That's why he says in verse 19 that every mouth may be stopped and all the world becomes guilty before God. The law reveals to us that we're sinners. Nothing wrong with the law. The law is not bad. The problem is us. That's where the problem is. The law is good. The law is holy. The law reveals righteousness and shows man who God is and what God expects. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is a knowledge of sin. So one of the functions of the law, not only is to reveal the character of God, but is also a standard whereby man has a knowledge of sin. Man knows that he has sinned because a standard is there. Man has violated that standard. And that's one of the things the law does. It's very similar if you're driving your vehicle, going down the road and a traffic sign posts a speed limit at a certain speed uh, and you violate that and the officer pulls you over, he said you were speeding. And natural response is, no, I wasn't. Yes, you were. There's a posted standard and you violate. Now, if there's no sign there, you don't know. That happened to me one time in Louisiana. We're driving through a little hick town. The, the, uh, the normal speed limit in most of Louisiana is 55. It's not 70 or 75 or 80 like it is here in Texas. It's 55. So we're going over to watch my son play football at his college. And I'm, and I'm coming through there. And I go through this little town. And I get right on the edge of town. Lights come on. I look back as a police officer pulls me over. I said, uh, he, and over there, it's get out of the vehicle. So I got out, come around back. I said, what's up? He said, I'll tell you what's up. He said, you're speeding through our town. And I said, no, it wasn't. I was, I was going about 40. And he said, the speed limit's 25. <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't see the speed limit sign said 25. He said, right when you come in town, you come down that hill, there's a sign that says speed, speed limit 25. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't see it. He goes, well, you can't see it. It's behind a tree. <laughs> and he said, that tree covers the sign. So a lot of people say they can't see it. I said, well, how in the heck am I supposed to know the speed limit is 25 is behind a tree? He said, my job is to enforce the law, not trim trees. That's what he told me. <laughs> and I said, okie dokie. And so we began, we got in some dialogue uh, about that. And I told him, you know, he asked me if I had a weapon. I said, yeah, I got one in my belt right now. And uh, you want to see it? He said, nope, leave it right where it is. <laughs> and I said, it's a really cool pistol. And, I, and so he said, well, let me see it. So I pulled it out and I showed it to him. He tried to buy it from me. It was, a, it was an AMT backup. They don't make them anymore. It's a 45. It fits in the palm of your hand, five shot, super gun to carry. Uh, but he... Uh, I was able to get him talking about that, and then we come up with an alternative to a ticket, and I ended up getting away. Uh, I ended up making it. But I did violate the law, and it was a posted sign that said the law. And so I was guilty. That's what the law of God does. The law of God shows us a standard, and we don't measure up that standard, and we stand guilty before God. That's what it's telling us, okay? You look also... It tells you in verse eight, uh, 16 
I'm sorry, Romans 3, look at verse 21. Now, this is when we really start getting, now remember, what are we dealing with? Moses gave us the law, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. Okay, the law of God reveals his righteousness, but Paul says the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. And it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. What does that mean? Well, the law and the prophets is just another way of referencing the Old Testament. The way the Old Testament is broken down, most of the time in the New Testament, it'll be referred to as the law and the prophets. The law being the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah. Okay, that's the law. Then the rest of the Old Testament is referred to as the prophets. Sometimes it's referred to as the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Sometimes it's called the law, the poetry, and the prophets. But generally it's referred to as the law and the prophets. So Paul says that the righteousness of God is revealed and it is witnessed by the law and the prophets. So what he is saying is that God in the law and in the prophets revealed a righteousness apart from the law. In other words, apart from keeping the law, there's a way to have righteousness. And what is that? Well, if you'll turn in your Bible to Genesis 15, we'll see an example from the law. Remember, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are referred to as the law. So if you look in Genesis and you look in the 15th chapter, this is God having a conversation with Abram. And it says this, I'm going to begin in verse one. Our focus verse is going to be verse six, but it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside God brought Abram outside and said, look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now here's the verse right here. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord and he, the Lord, accounted it to him for righteousness. Okay. So that's the righteousness of God being revealed apart from the law. The law reveals his righteousness, but his righteousness is also seen in that Abram believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, the way that operates is you take this podium right here and we'll say this is the Old Testament and this is the New Testament. And over here in the Old Testament, this verse right here and everything else 
is leading up, it's using types and typology to lead up to the culmination, which is going to be the Lamb of God that's going to come, that He is going to come, Jesus is going to come and die on the cross for the sin of mankind. Okay? So everything leads up to that. And so when He says this to Abram, He says, look at the stars in the sky. He says, you will be the father of many nations. Well, we know that Abram was the father of the Jews, but God says, you're going to be a father of many nations. How's that going to happen? How are other nations going to be born through Abraham? They're going to be born through him spiritually. Because see, through Abraham is going to come the Messiah, is ultimately going to come through Abraham, okay? And we're over here on this side of the cross, and we're looking back and we can say, well, he's talking about Jesus Christ. who's going to come down the cross, be buried and raised again. And all these spiritual offspring are going to be part of that family. They're going to be part of Abraham's descendants. OK, now over here, you can't see that. All you can see is God makes a promise. And that promise is a veiled promise containing the gospel. OK. And Abraham believes God and it's accounted him for righteousness. That's called progressive revelation. As you go through the Bible, that revelation becomes more and more evident to you. Okay? And it's going to become very evident when you get where we are in the New Testament because it says this is Jesus full of grace and truth. This is Jesus, the only begotten of the Father. And so it's very clear. It's very uh, plain and easy to see. So this is a reference to the, the law mentioning the righteousness of God, which is a by faith righteousness. Then we go look at the Psalms even. Go look in Psalm 32. And Psalm 32 says, verse 1, Psalm 32, 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. Well, that verse of scripture right there is actually quoted in Romans chapter four. If you look in Romans chapter four, Paul uses that passage of scripture to talk about God imputing righteousness apart from works. Verse six of, of uh, Romans four says, just as David, who was the author of that psalm, it says, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So there's a reference in the psalms. So you have the law, the psalms, and then in the prophets, I'm not going to go to the Old Testament book. We'll just go to, go to Romans chapter 1 and we'll see a quote from the prophets. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? Jesus died, was buried, and raised again. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for in it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now quote, 
the just shall live by faith, is a direct quote from Habakkuk 2.4. So therefore, you have a witness from the prophets. The quote of David is a witness from the Psalms. And, uh, and the quote from Moses concerning Abram is one from the law. So the law, the Psalms, and the prophets all revealed a righteousness that was a by faith righteousness, a righteousness apart from the law. So look again at your passage in Romans 3, 21. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, the law and the prophets have revealed this. It's veiled, it's in there. But many people, what they focus on is the law. I gotta keep the law to be right with God. God says, no, 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 you cannot keep the law. The law is going to do things to you that are going to reveal how sinful you truly are. Look in Romans 7, Romans chapter 7, and beginning in verse 7, let's look there, okay? Romans 7 and 7, let's look what Paul says about the law. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? No, see, the law is not bad. The law is good. So he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. So see, without the law, man could say, I'm a good person. I've done everything God expects of me. God says, well, okay, just a second. Here's some standards right here. Have you violated any of these? Well, yeah, I have. I violated that one. Reality is you violated every one of them. Because if you hadn't done it in a deed, you've done it in thought. Okay? Or you've done it in word. So, I mean, there's other ways to violate it. But see, the law becomes a standard to show man that he has sinned, that he has come short. He says, but sin, so it's not the law, it says, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive. In other words, I lived my life free without any problems or anything without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In other words, when, when, because of the sinfulness of man, when there's a standard, our sin naturally wants to rebel against that standard. You see it in children when they're little, very little. And you'll see it, for example, tell them, don't touch the stove, it's hot. And when you leave the room, what are they going to do? Don't touch the stove, okay? It's, it's going to happen. That's just the way man is. Laws incite sin out of mankind. All right. So verse 10. Well, verse nine. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found brings death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy. There it is right there. And the commandment holy and just and good. See, there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is you and me. The problem is we are sinners. And because we're sinners, 
and that standard is there, our sin rises to the surface and reveals to us that we're sinners. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what was good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. All right. Now, look over at verse. Let's just keep reading, okay? For we know that the law is spiritual, and I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. You ever felt like that? Why did I do that? We say that all the time. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. For example, you've willed to read through the Bible for 2024. You already stopped. <laughs> right? You already stopped. I got the easy Bible plan for people, man. Three days before Christmas, begin at Leviticus 1 and read all the way through to the Psalms. And then you read from the Psalms to the Gospels. Then you read New Testament. You knock it out in three days, okay? <laughs> we set these standards and we don't even live up to our own standard, okay? Because of sin in our life. If then, verse 16, I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I to do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that's in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. What's Paul saying? I don't within myself have the ability to keep the law. Amen. Period. I don't. All the law is going to do is create more sin in my life and frustration. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. That's the nature of mankind right there. So what does the, what does the law do? The law reveals to man that man is a sinner. Look over in Romans 5. Let's look at another passage dealing with this subject. Look at Romans 5 and look at uh, verse 18. It says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That's Adam. Okay, as a result of Adam's sin, judgment comes to all of us resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So see, one of the functions of the law again is to what? Show us we are sinful. So the law does not make you righteous. The law reveals the righteousness of God and the law lets you know and me know that we are sinners and rebels towards God. And look at verse 20 again. But where sin abounded, grace much more. So see, even though that law shows me to be a sinner, God's grace abounds more than my sin. 
so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, our hope is in Christ because the law will not make us right. Well, you can even see it in a sacrificial system. In a sacrificial system over here in the Old Testament, the purpose of the sacrifice was to make it to where the person could come into the presence of God. The sacrifice could not take away their sin. It just simply covered their sin. And by covering their sin, it enabled them to have that relationship with God. But that sacrifice and all that entails, all it did was remind them that they're a sinner over and over again. Let's look at that in just a second. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verse 1. Hebrews 10, 1. It says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, now remember, the law and all that Old Testament stuff out here are shadows and types of something greater to come. Okay? So the law reveals the righteousness and holiness of God. And where do we see that real righteousness and holiness of God? We see it in the one of grace and truth, the person of Jesus Christ, okay? And so we follow through this thing. It's a shadow of things to come and not the very image of the things. Can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purged, would have no more consciousness of sin. But see, what does the sacrifice do? It reminds you over and over and over, I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. All they could do was cover sin and allow man to come in the presence of God. Therefore, when he came into the world, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Incarnation, all right? In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. What's the first? The first covenant. Now he's establishing the second covenant. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands ministering daily. If, you, if you're a note taker, underline the word stands or circle the word stands or highlight the word stands. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. What can they do? Cover sin. Make man acceptable to come into the presence of God. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, 
set down at the right hand of God. Now, circle or underline or highlight the words set down. So when you read this, you'll see every priest stands, Jesus set down. What does that tell you? That priest stands because his work is never done. He's got to continually offer up sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. In the temple and tabernacle, there was no chair for the priest. When the priest entered, he stood the entire time he was there. And it was symbolic of the fact that, that this sin offering has to be continually done because it's never finished. But when Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, he ascends into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of God. What does he say on the cross? It is finished. See, he doesn't cover our sin. He takes our sin away. He removes our sin from us. So let's follow this. Verse 13. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So you see the sacrifice of Christ perfected us forever because we are the ones that are being sanctified. And we experience God's grace, just like he says there in John, grace upon grace upon grace. It's continually grace being put into our life. God's grace is greater than our sin. That ought to make a song about that. There, because God's grace continually is greater than any sin that we can commit. All right? We're saved through the person of Christ. And when Christ comes, he comes in a fulfillment of all these types, except he's the perfect fulfillment because he's man. He's man without sin. He's fully God. And he goes to the cross, having come into the world as a Jewish male and living under this law. He lived under that law and lived it perfectly. You know why? Because in Jesus, that law didn't excite any sin in him. You know why? Because he had no sin nature. He was born of a virgin. He was incarnated. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. This is the God man here. This is the one without sin. This is the one that keeps the law perfect. And he goes to the cross as a perfectly righteous man without sin. So he equals mankind. He's also 100% God, so he's equivalent to God. So with one hand, he can reach out to God. The other hand, he can reach out to man. And he can take man's sin upon himself and die as his substitute in his place. And God fully accepts that sacrifice and that payment. Look in Hebrews 8. We'll look at another passage of Scripture that will help us to understand this even, even some more, maybe. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 7, it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 6. Look at verse 6. But now 
he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So Moses gave you the law, but Jesus Christ is grace and truth. Jesus Christ comes and he delivers man. Look at Romans 10. Go back to Romans. Look at Romans 10. I want you to see a passage in there where it speaks about Christ. Romans 10 and uh, verse 1. I'll just read up to verse 4. Romans 10, 1. Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to the knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. How, how did they seek to establish their own righteousness? They thought we can keep the law. And by keeping the law, we can be right with God. But see, the problem is your sins are covered so you can come in the presence of God, but they're never taken away. You still, even through that system, had sin and couldn't come into the presence of God. But they still sought it, okay? They seek to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted the righteousness of God. And look at this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, once you believe in Christ, it's over with. There's no works. There's nothing because you have the righteousness of God through the person of Christ. So what this passage is telling us and what these passages are speaking to and pointing to for us is Christ is grace and truth. Whereas Moses brought the law which revealed our condemnation and Jesus brings us the way to be fully right with God. He brings us grace and truth. Romans 8, 2, and then we're going to get out of Romans. Romans 8, 2. says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay? So see, I've been delivered from that. Because all that... Moses' law did was reveal my sin, and that sin brought death into my heart. So let's go back to John 1. You look at John chapter 1, and we'll look at our passage again. John 1 and verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, and that was a good thing. Moses brought the law, and it showed man how he could be in relationship with God. What do I have to do? Well, these are God's standards right here, 613 of them. You violate them. You have to do a sacrifice that'll cover your sin enough to where you can come into the presence of God. That was a good thing. That was a good thing because it enabled man to be in fellowship with God, to be in a relationship with God. But it couldn't take that sin away. It couldn't make that man perfectly righteous. And so Jesus comes and he's full of grace and truth. And what does he do? He takes that sin away and he gives us his spirit. And we are in fellowship with God positionally every day. And conditionally, we should be. Because see, when you come to faith in him, you're placed in Christ. And then in time, you're either filled with the spirit or you're filled with your flesh. In time, you're in and out but it's the same sacrifice that cleanses. You don't need another sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. First John 1, 9, we confess our sin. 
He's faithful and just, forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's talking about relationship. That's talking about your condition, not your position, your condition. You're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. One of the two. There's no in between. You're either controlled by the flesh or you're controlled by the spirit. One of the two. So how do I move from the flesh to the spirit? I confess my sin. I confess my sin before God. He's faithful and just to do what? Forgive me of that sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness and restores that relationship to where my condition matches my position with him. So we look here at John. For, great, for the law was given through Moses, but, got your contrast, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that makes him a greater than Moses because he sets us free. He becomes the end of the law for us. He sets us free, and through him, we have righteousness. So what's the word grace mean? We've seen it enough times. The word grace is unmerited favor from God. Just like a beggar needs charity, a sinner needs grace. That's all there is to it. Plain and simple. You need grace. I need grace. We need grace every day of our life. And we have that grace because the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from our sin. And we stand right before God because of the finished work of Christ. So it says, he is grace and truth. What is truth? The word there for truth is aletheia. The word lethia comes from the word lanthano. And lanthano means to be hidden or concealed. And it's got an alpha privative in front of it. So it negates the meaning of the word. So what it means is he reveals that which was hidden. The truth. He reveals that. He brings that out. Christ brings out the truth of God. And what's that truth? Believe in me and you're going to be righteous with God. It was, it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Abraham saw it. David saw it. Habakkuk saw it. It was seen, but it wasn't like right out in the front. It wasn't like obvious and evident. Now that Jesus Christ has come, it's revealed, it's blows out, and it's shown to everyone. The truth is in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will come to the Father except through me. I am your access to God. I am the fulfillment of that law. I am the fulfillment of those sacrifices. I am the fulfillment of all the word, because all the word rests in me. It's the one of grace and truth. That's what Jesus revealed. He's full of grace and truth. And that came through the person of Jesus Christ. So what that reveals to us is Jesus Christ is the way to God. He's greater than Moses because all Moses could do was bring that law, show us the righteous character of God. But at the same time, what does it do? It condemns us to death because it shows where we don't measure up, where we fail. But Jesus Christ comes and he fulfills all that law in himself. And he says, I will be your substitute. Hence, we get penal substitutionary atonement. Christ comes and fulfills it. And so when he fulfills it, we put our faith in Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ. And what happens? And it is accounted to us for righteousness. It's given to us as righteousness. That's the grace of God. We receive the righteousness of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's full of grace and truth. So what's the bottom line, folks? Bottom line is this. 
You cannot be right with God by, by trying to keep the law. You cannot earn favor with God through obedience to the law of God. The more you seek, the more you fail. The only way to be right with God is to receive God's grace through the person of Jesus Christ. And that delivers you from your sin. He doesn't cover your sin. He takes your sin away. He removes your sin and puts you in right standing with him. He is full of grace and truth. He is the fullness of God. He reveals God to us. No man has seen God at any time except for the son who's in the bosom of the father and he has declared him to us. That's what verse 18 tells us. Christ reveals God to mankind. And he said, if you want to be with God, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. It rests in me. It's believing on him. If you've never believed on him, believe in him. Believe in him today. Believe that Jesus is your only hope and you'll have eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son that you have sent into the world to pay for our sin. Father, my prayer is, is that everyone here today would believe that in their life. For he is full of grace and truth. He offers us the way to God. And Father, might we embrace that today and receive that in our life. And if there's one here today that hadn't, Lord, I pray that you'd bring them to faith today. For it's in Christ's name we pray, Lord. Amen.